All right, I have, I have two things I want to discuss right off the bat here. One, uh, I was bicycling uh, back from the train for an event I was at last night, and my uh, I have it right here. Let me uh, investigate. One of my one of my pedals fell off, and I don't know the technical term for it. That's the pedal, but it's not only the pedal; it's like the stem of the pedal that that went off. Wow! Up. And my question is: now it had been creaking for a while. And then when, when yeah. I, I noticed that, like, when I would pedal, this is the left pedal, it would kind of, like, wobble a little bit. So I tightened this um, nut. I, how do you distinguish between a nut and a bolt? Is a bolt bigger and yeah. a nut small? <laughs> <laughs> I, I work with computers, not not hardware. Oh. Huh. Uh, anyways, uh, yeah, I tightened it. But then on, on when I was coming back, it, like, just totally fell off. And my question is, so here, here – do you think here in the Netherlands you're not supposed to take that into the shop because, like, you're supposed to be able to figure that out? Or can oh. I just take it to the shop and have them fix that? Because mm. this, this bolt slash nut looks kind of stripped at the end, and I have no idea where I would buy one of these. Well, where would did, did you buy a new bike? No, or? no, it was a used bike. All right, then you know what? I, I, I'd say take it in uh-huh. and be like, I bought this bike uh i don't know what i'm doing i'm just an american uh-huh. and uh you know <laughs> throw yourself on the mercy of the of the uh of the uh fine amsterdamian uh-huh. uh bicyclists what, what you're saying is if i had a car problem i i can't take that somewhere i gotta be like oh i'm an american i can fix that no, chevy no 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 just just give up. I, I okay. just <laughs> you're not going to get good advice from me on fixing your bicycle. Is that a, is that yeah. Matt, Matt Ray's razor? Just give up. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long day. It's been a long day. All right, now now my se- my second question before we get on to the uh, the outrageously interesting. <laughs> Infrastructure software. All, all my tech advice news. is going to just be give up. Well, okay. well, sorry, I didn't allow you a time to respond, Brandon. What, what, how would you play this? How would you pedal this out? Yeah, I, I would do the easy thing here, which sounds mm-hmm. like just take it in, unless okay. you know, and it, it maybe watch how they fix it. Like if they fix it in two minutes, <laughs> it's like I mean, I mean, you. it's like, well, yeah. okay, I'll do it next time. But you know, sometimes because the pedals, you know, I know I do. Uh, it is when these things on a bike, you're like, oh, this will be really easy. But then often it's about not having the right tool and not having yes. the ability to quickly yes. put your bike up on a, um, you know, basically a bike stand where like, so there is always a little bit of advantage. You take something into a bike yeah, shop, yeah. they throw it on the stand, they have all the right tools, they fix it in a few minutes. You're like, well, this would have taken me several hours, even though yeah. it was really easy for you. No, so I'm, I'm okay doing that. Yeah, yeah, no, and that, that's you know, it's very popular here to like mod out your bike. Of course, right? You just get the you get the uh, the factory bike, but you got to put a rack on on the front, and then you got to put like uh, if you got a kid, you put a seat thing on the on the back. You might have some saddlebags. You know, you just like you trick your bike out. And and spoiler, oh yeah, yo spoiler. You gotta you know you gotta <laughs> have a, you gotta have a chain cover, and then you gotta have a back wheel cover if your kid's gonna be on there with their their fragile soft feet and everything. So all sorts of stuff. And there are some things I I you know I'm from Austin, uh, as as it, you know, uh, where I tell people unless you're crazy you don't bike because it's like 40 degrees Celsius and very hilly, sort of well done the opposite of here. I actually had to look that up. Because that's a joke I need to use. But yeah, 40 degrees uh, Celsius. Uh, very hot. 
And uh, so uh, consequently, I just I don't even know bike theory. So like I have this fear that like I'm going to do what looks like a simple repair and then it's going to be like two degrees off perfection and then just death. You know, just going to fall into the canal or something. And then, and, and then the right pedal will fall off. That's right. It, it's sort of like maybe back <laughs> back in the days when they were moving uh, separate parts in computers. You know, you can't just like jam a bunch of cards in those slots. You got to like mm. know the right. And you remember you used to have to like, was it when you install a hard drive, you would have to go set some switches on the motherboard or something mm-hmm. absurd yeah, like the that? switches. Yes. Yeah. Of course. Man. Yes. That was oh, man. crazy times. Anyways, that was like the Wozniak era of computing, I think. Yep. I'm, I'm glad we're out of that. Well, so my second question, uh, do you think it's possible to only eat enough sushi or is you just always eat too much of it and feel sick afterwards? Well, just don't buy enough. Oh, this is a problem is I was, I was at, <laughs> I was at a place last night and they had like a buffet of it. And it was, uh, uh, man, and it was a good buffet. They had sashimi and they had whatever that sashimi is that's like, I feel like it's maybe like if scallops had belly fat, it's like scallop belly fat. I don't know what that what piece that is, but it's like really uh congladulous. What's the word? Coagulous? It's just strange. <laughs> so uh I consequently I ate a lot of that because wow. I think free. the the move with sushi is to get the sushi appetizer followed by a proper meal. Cause that way you sort mm. of like, you know, control your portions. A little I portion see. control there. Portion control. Yeah. That's good. All right. Well, uh, what, uh, you know, I, I think, I think we, we had a link to, I saw this article a while ago and, and someone looked up how to do a special character, which I should learn the little, uh, not equals thing. And, and I think it's over at the new stack, if I recall. And it's basically a, a, a bit of a, an essay about how function as a service does not equal serverless. Now, uh, you know, I think, I think on, on, on this program here, as they call it, we've discussed this idea that, uh, at least me, I don't know. I don't know how how y'all feel about it. Is I feel like I feel like serverless is becoming synonymous with just like uh, programming, uh, yeah. Basically, yeah. Uh, maybe maybe programming that is not a three tiered application that's running on like a System Z or a Power Machine or something, or or whatever <laughs> engineered hardware people uh, would run three tiered applications on. But it does seem like. Uh, and I have to, I have to disclose, I haven't gone and read the CNCF's, uh, white paper in GitHub on what serverless is. But, uh, I don't know. Is, is, is this an ongoing trend that y'all come across that they're, uh, I don't know. Is function as a service even a distinct category anymore? Or is it more of just like a, I, a framework or a I, I, sort of an architecture? Yeah. So, uh, the, the, I kind of think the point of the article is they were trying to, trying to get a little more delineation in the definition of serverless you know like it it is kind of this catch-all for um you know what the author is trying to say is that you know function as a service is not necessarily a part of serverless even though um they tend to just all get lumped together as you know hey this is you know sometimes it's a back end as a service talking to a SaaS, talking to a load balancer you know or not a load balancer talking to a queue and they're like no 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 function as a service put your code on there it just runs your thing it doesn't talk to anything else you know it's uh you know it when i when i when i read it i it clicked and and now i'm kind of like well how many people are really that uh 
yeah. wrapped up on. Yeah, and, <laughs> I, and, and it is. I mean, I think I think that's the format of the article, and I remember reading it. And and it achieves its goal. I think the end goal of right. it is like this is a confusing space, and it and it's from uh, from Lawrence over there at the the new stack. He's he's like their uh, chart guy. Does all the surveys? He used to work at Four Five One Research. He's he's a good guy. But uh, there's two questions, and it's basically questions like, do you use serverless and not not fast, or do you use fast and not serverless? And the way that people answer it is is weird, uh, and it I don't know. It's very confusing. <laughs> but I guess it kind of comes back to like this this whole point. It's like if if most of the time that people that are you know doing something serverless are really trying to use functions as a service right if they're so coupled today then you know then does it matter like i yeah sure there's yes yes there are technical differences yes you could do things serverless to have nothing to do with functions as a service but it does seem like the bulk of the time these things are discussed they're really go you know they go hand in hand so yeah i don't know the fact that there's a a potential difference between them like, what's the serverless use case that people are talking about that doesn't involve functions as a service? Like, yeah, what, what is see, that? Like, question. Why, we need why some does it, um, And why does that matter to anyone? What you know at this point? I mean, there could be, but I don't. I just don't well, know what it is today. Well, here, here's the definition they say they used in the survey. If you put a little markdown block quote in here, so to speak, it says. Serverless architecture broadly describes an application design that incorporates third-party backend as a service or BAS services and or that include custom code run in managed environments on a fast platform. So <laughs> in many ways, it seems difficult to parse. Like, it's what a, does it, that really do? And then it says in many ways, serverless architecture looks similar to other application designs focused on events and microservices. Right. So you're, you're just kind of pulling out the containers and VMs out of the equation, whereas FAST is a subset of that definition is still mm. how I read it. You know? yeah, but, uh, yeah. And, yeah. and then, and then um, to quote some more, I think, so here's the confusing thing, just so that, you know, yeah. so people know. It's, it says, uh, let's see. It says 95% of organizations with serverless architectures are using FAST to some degree because the way the terms are applied. But then it says, let's see, we still believe the word serverless connotes many things, especially for the 79% of organizations that plan to adopt serverless architectures, but have not planned to use FAS in the next 18 months. So there's some pe- there, people are going to use serverless, but no FASs. But then you have 63% of respondents without plans for serverless architecture plan to start using FAS. So one of the, which suggests people's perception is not that, that FAS is a subset of serverless, right? You could do FAS without doing serverless. Yes. I, I think I think people probably got four or five questions into the survey, got confused, and it just skewed the whole data set. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That does. This seems to be more or less in uh, good survey design in, in your audience. Like, do who, who is qualified to even take the survey to really understand yes. it? Maybe that's the first question yeah, yeah, yeah. before you can actually do it. That, that is, but I think so, his point, so, oh, and maybe that that would be an interesting article to write. It'd be more of the speculative future. Would be okay if FAS is not serverless. Like here are the things that are being done in serverless that are interesting that are wholly different from functions as a service. Right. That would probably be the more interesting mm. article at this point, and uh, and drawing that out in more detail. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so, and, and you know, to, to go up a few levels, when, uh, when y'all see surveys of new technologies and people's intense, intense to use them in, uh, like, you know, the next 12, six, 12 or 18 months, uh, like, how do you, how do you treat those? Like, you know, uh, so, so for instance, Brandon, you've worked on like developer marketing stuff, as I recall. Like, did that kind of stuff ever like guide what you were doing? Yeah, no, I think we're always looking ahead as like what new technology has come out and you're, you know, you're trying to be spec, you know, it's both the survey, but you as a provider, right? You know, any type of vendor providing technology, you're trying to decide, do you invest in this area because you think it's going to come out or more importantly, you believe it gives you some distinct advantage, right? So if infrastructure as a service is sort of a flooded market, right? Everyone's doing it and you're looking to differentiate, right? That's why you're going to look, okay, what's going on in serverless? Maybe this is a place that we can go add some value and really differentiate ourselves in the markets. But you do have to then balance that against like, what are the, you know, if we think about the use cases we probably talk about day to day, it's like, you know, broadly describing like, okay, someone wants to do digital transformation. Okay, so they want to take some monolithic application and break it up, or they want to modernize some application and then I think that's the hard part. Then you have to say to yourself, well, how are they likely to do that? Are they likely to, you know, um, want to embrace functions as a service or do something serverless? Mm. And, you know, that's where I think the rub is. And then that's why it's like, well, maybe not, right? Because this seems like it would require a lot more rewrite for an existing application. So then you start to say to yourself, hmm, well, maybe this is just for new applications, right? Um, so I think you're always kind of balancing like the use cases you know about today versus the technology that allows you to differentiate yourself in the, in the market in the future, but then also trying to figure out, well, maybe new use cases will emerge um, that will actually take advantage of some of this technology. So it is, I mean, it's kind of, a, you know, it's always a game, right? It's always like, you know, can I be there when it hits? But if, I, if it doesn't hit, then I may have wasted a lot of time. Mm. Now, do you, did, did, uh, did Jeffrey Moore write about this in all his Chasm and Tornado books, how to like find the new technology in cloud or anything? Well, you know, his whole thing, right, you know, is always the the early adopters. And then so in the case of serverless, right, he would say, well, maybe our uh, functions of service, maybe a bunch of early adopters are using it. And then, of course, the question would mm. be, is it going to, quote unquote, cross the chasm? Will large enterprises, you know, embrace serverless as the way, you know, I would say today, like if you're looking in the market, say like, is serverless like going to become a technology that enables digital transformation you know, in a, in a new, better, faster way, right. Versus just moving everything to containers or just moving every, you know, just all the other ways that you could do things. Um, so that would be the question here. And I, and it's like, it makes sense. It's speculative, right. I think, and I think we do think of some use cases that we all know about today that are fairly, you know, um, obvious places to do it, but they're probably not big money makers. Right. So this would be the whole idea of like, well, you know, do you invest in it hoping that, it does grow or is this just an area that's going to just kind of live in early adopter world, but never really, you know, quote unquote, cross the chasm as Jeffrey Moore would say. Yeah. I was thinking about his, his, uh, his chasm stuff earlier this morning. You know, there, there was, uh, there was the cloud foundry summit, uh, in Basel or whatever last week or sometime soon, which I stupidly didn't go to and all the recordings are out now. So this is why I I was, I was, uh, listeners won't know this, but I was late. Seven, eight minutes late, I think, to recording. Matt Ray almost got to go to bed early, uh, uh. but no. Uh, and uh, I was I was excited. This is like we got some more reference customers here that we can look at. I was I was watching a, a Rabo Bank one, you know, Dutch Bank here. 
so gripping i forgot we had a recording and uh and i was thinking like you know that's a core part of jeffrey moore's getting across the chasm is getting i think like three reference customers and that might be climbing the slope of enterprise enlightenment or whatever he calls it uh but you know at some point you focus your your sales goals in addition to just making money become we need to get referenceable customers and, uh, you know, that was making me think, like, I should probably go back and read that because I'm pretty sure all that same stuff still applies. Like, I don't and I don't remember it that well. But, you know, he, I think he was more talking about, like, obviously, because it was written in the 90s, uh, the late 90s, like on premise software and probably a lot of ERP and application. But I'm pretty sure those general principles apply for all like enterprise sales. And uh, they they were pretty simple and straightforward. And you know, as as ever, I you know I love the consumer tech space. I think we got uh, sort of like distracted by a whole bunch of like uh, you know, I don't know, RPUs or nonsense, growth hacking and things like that. Now now that said, uh, like I, I I wonder if if you like modify that with like open source virality of spreading things like what that would look like that doesn't seem like a tactic he necessarily covered too much but uh that was some good theory back then it's also and the final thing is kind of wild to think that he wrote that book in the late 90s just for the software industry <laughs> like like that's a tiny narrow uh market that that i think he he wrote that for which back then especially i guess it was for like microsoft and oracle maybe sun or something. Yeah, but he's sort of, in some ways, he's the uh, you know the first thought lo- leader slash evangelist in tech, right? So I mean, maybe he, maybe, you know, it'd be interesting to go back and talk to him and almost like go meta, apply his own framework to himself. Like it's mm. you know he sort of most people say like a lot of those ideas came from all these academic papers that were written in like I don't know pretty long ago, like sixties or the seventies. So. And and I, I mean this in a good way. Like he repackaged it, simplified it, and gave it some interesting, you know, metaphors. And then, you know, and, and maybe he knew. Like if he just looked ahead, maybe he just did some very simple things. Like you no, know, technology is going to be really big. If I start writing about this now, and it probably didn't take any genius to figure out. Like you know, technology firms are like really bad at marketing. They're really bad at understanding <laughs> markets, right? So he probably was just like these people have no idea what they're doing. I think technology is going to grow. I'm going to, you know specifically focus and write a book on this in the hopes of maybe just getting consulting and speaking. But then at the, you know, at the same time, you know, he strikes product market fit, you know, like probably like no other tech evangelist or business strategy consultant of that time and probably goes on to make millions of dollars. But like, did he see all of that coming? You know what I mean? Back to your thing about applying this whole idea, like when he gave the book out and it was read by like a couple hundred people and then suddenly it just became this mainstream phenomenon in tech uh, journalism, right? Or tech punditry. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to talk to him and be like, did you, did you think that was going to happen? Were you applying your own rules or did it just sort of happen by accident? Mm. It, would, it would be an interesting, you know, conversation with him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that concept of product market fit, it's, it's, it's a little too easy to like make fun of, right? Because like the opposite of that would be like you make a product no one wants to buy. I guess. But then, but then operationally, I guess in lean startup thing, it's more, it's more just a shorthand for finding the market, the people who want to buy the thing that you're building and also kind of changing the thing you want to build around, which, which, uh, makes sense. Discovering your market. You always got to do right. that. Well, we could go back and apply it. I mean, because I, I think, you know, a ther- serverless and functions as a service and all these things, like it's kind of at this beginning, right? It, it is kind of, it's, you know, 
it, like I think from a technology standpoint, it makes sense. Everyone, I, I think if you're in technology, gets it. You understand the value proposition. Mm. And, it, and I think right now, right? I mean, this is the, I think the question going forward is, is like, well, will it achieve like massive product market fit? And, and I, I think if you look ahead right now, it's like, it's hard to know, right? So this is why, you know, a lot of, and there's, there's a reason, there's a bunch of vendors that would like it to hit product market fit because it would help them sell and kind of let them reset the competitive landscape to some, some degree. So there is some, a constituency that want it to happen, but you know, this is where, you know, nobody has any answers. Like no one really knows, like, and I don't think anyone, you know, only in retrospect will someone be able to tell you why it did or did not happen. Like as we sit here right now and we're mm. like, Hmm, is this going to catch on? I don't think there's any way for us to accurately predict it. Um, and you know, and then maybe 10 years go by and then somebody does it again and it, and it hits then. Right. And then we go back and we're like, Oh, it just wasn't the right time. But you know, but again, like you're only doing that in hindsight. So, um, so that's why I think when you're watching all these technologies or like, you know, back to like the guy that doing digital transformation and it's just sort of like, Hmm, should I embrace functions as a service? Like right now today, it's like, I don't know if I was running a project at a really big bank, I probably wouldn't go all in on it. I'd probably be more likely to be like, hmm, maybe we should do something a little bit different. Maybe we should do something that's a little less risky. Um, but, we should do blockchain. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, but I think blockchain is like the ultimate example of this, right? It's like nobody has any idea what's going to happen with it. Mm. And just all the talk and all the people and even really smart people talking about it, it's like, listen, you just have no idea. So if you want to put some money or speculate in that world, it's just realize it's very speculative there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's definitely a lot of unfound i'm not gonna say unfounded because i don't know i I mean it's so speculative on on the blockchain side of things but what what i'm definitely seeing is is companies that are you know jumping on the kubernetes wagon without like you know they're just like i can't miss this this wave and you know they're not quite ready to to really change how they operate or you know their applications aren't really ready for containerization but you know by by gosh, they they you know if they don't have a Kubernetes initiative as an IT leader, well you know that's uh that that's a ding on you. Yeah, yeah. I was talking with someone yesterday, and they were asking about uh, of course like Pivotal's Kubernetes stuff, and and if yeah. we had like Istio in it and things like that, and and you know you know me, I don't really know what version anything is, and I have a tenuous <laughs> grasp on reality. But, you know, it was making me think of like, man, it'd be really hard to be a product manager in this space because uh, kind of to the point Brandon was saying, like in eight months from now, like who knows what the kids will like. And uh, despite all the sort of like sort of I, I guess when you're building a platform, you do need to think in at least three month increments, <laughs> if if not more. Right. Especially if you're building a platform that's supposed to uh, work. And uh, are, aren't they it, doing major releases every three months? Yeah, sure, sure. But but <laughs> but, uh, you know, more, more once you once you're adding feature, adding additional things onto the platform is is more what yeah. I was getting at. Right. Like to analogize it, if you went back to the uh, it'd be like back in the Java days. The only thing I understand where like. I forget what the JCP would call the spec, but if there was sort of like a proposal for a specification and then everyone was like, oh, have you implemented proposal 53? Because I'm going to need that to run my, uh, you know, my banking. We're implementing that right now. And it is, uh, I don't know, people people are a lot more interested in, in using speculative yet to be unbaked stuff, which being the users, I guess they can't be wrong if I remember that motto, but it, it does put... Uh, 
if you're like a product manager, it puts you in a weird spot of one, this is sort of like the thing analysts would always, analysts always have a lot of tricks that are really annoying. You know, on the one hand, they'll say like, uh, why aren't you shipping Istio yet? Like you're behind the times. And then, and then your answer will be like, well, I don't know, because it's like, you know, only been around for like a year or whatever. And maybe people don't really ask for it. Like, you know, whatever the technology may be. And then of course, that's not a good answer. But then if you're like, we're shipping Istio, then the analysts are like, yeah, but does anyone really use that? I mean, it's so new <laughs> that it's totally like crazy that you're doing it and you're just chasing buzz, buzzwords. And then you're like, oh, I remember why I don't like analysts. Uh, but and, and you're like spinnaker, and you throw some glitter in the air. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but how? How? Let, let, let me ask you this, Mary. Since you've been around Chef for a while, I'll, I'll meet oh, people. Dear. I'll meet people from Chef, and I'll be like, oh, you know, I know Matt Ray, and they'll be like, he's a veteran. That like you, you're known for being uh, around there for a while in a good way. But uh, mm-hmm. what, do you think there was a point where, like, you would start going into meetings and people were, were like, uh, they stopped being like, I don't know, I might want to use my blade stuff instead? Or, like, was there sort of like a hump that, that y'all got over where basically it was just like, hey, I just need some help, like, understanding what to type into this thing. We're definitely going to be using Chef and all that. But it was no longer like a uh, like a wacky, wild, speculative thing. Uh, you know, it, it, one of the interesting things about my role is, is it does seem somewhat, uh, regional. So, Mm. you know, I, 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 I did give a demo last year, um, of just, you know, some vanilla config management stuff, you know, VMs coming and going and, you know, a whole bunch of automation and they didn't think it was real. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they were, they were literally like, you know was this a recording you know that doesn't you know it's like no this is just like you know this is how you automate stuff man there's nothing to this and they were like no really (laughs) and i was just (laughs) um but but yeah i mean today it's there's there's not there's not the level of skepticism uh it's definitely you know Mm. kind of uh the whole idea of, of automating infrastructure and infrastructure's code it's it's really mainstream now, right? And yeah, you, you have your your three reference customers, so so you're <laughs> yeah, fine. you know we we've got you know pages and pages of of reference customers, and you know uh, that's that's not the hard thing. That you know the hard thing, of course, is you know the newer the newer tech that uh, you have to prove it, and then say you know oh I want a white paper, and then they'll be like oh I want a white paper in my industry, and now I want to talk to you know three different customers, and you're like dude, it works, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I wonder I wonder if when, you know, there's a new version of, of like Windows coming out, they're like, mm, I'm, I'm all into the operating systems, but until I read how people in discrete manufacturing and also the cement industry are using this <laughs> new version of Windows, I'm very suspicious. Are there any other of my uh, peers in cement that are using this? Because yes. I, don't, I don't think it applies here. Right, right. And, and, and yeah, and then be like, well, do you have anybody in Malaysia? <laughs> I'm like, wait, you want a Malaysian cement company? I'm like, well, Southeast Asia. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, maybe maybe that's probably my own uh, source, but uh, there, there's the level of skepticism isn't there now. It's it's uh, you know now it's 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 a bit commoditized, right? You know, everyone's like, oh yeah, automation, yeah. Um, mm. What 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 else? How you know? 
why why would I pay for that? So well, you know, well, you know I yeah. found that the best way to get over like uh, you know you know no need to speculate about suspicions of things. You just got to like try it out, see how it works for you. And I think uh, you know would one of you like to tell the listeners how they might something fun they might try out so they can get over their uh, suspicions of it being good or bad. I, I absolutely would, you know, Kote. I want to let you know that this uh, episode is sponsored by Datadog. And this week, Datadog wants you to know about Trace Search and Analytics. Trace Search and Analytics allows you to explore, graph, and correlate application performance data using high cardinality attributes. You can search and filter request traces using key business and application attributes, such as user IDs, host names, or products used. So you can quickly pinpoint where performance issues are originating and who's being affected. Tight integration with data from logs and infrastructure metrics also lets you correlate these specific trace events to the performance of the underlying infrastructure so you can resolve the problem quickly. So guys, we all have performance problems. We all need to figure out what it really means and what's going on. So make sure to use trace search and analytics from Datadog and to make it easy so that you can try it out yourself and not have to read loads of white paper in Southeast Asia. You can go to www.datadog.com slash software defined talk. There you can sign up for a free trial. If you do a couple things, they'll send you a shirt. You can make sure it works. And as always, we appreciate Datadog being such a great sponsor. Yeah, you know, I was I was at uh, uh, DevOps Days Paris earlier this week, which yeah. which they called DevOps Rex. Now, two things: one, Wait, what? one, they let you do Legion there, which is just like mind boggling, right? They've got QR codes on the badges, and you get this little Badger app. It's got a Badger claw on it. See, that's a pun. And uh, you just scan them, and it's like, pow! There's a name, a company, and an, and an email address, and now we're we're Legionin. Uh, so. <laughs> You know, from a vendor perspective, that's awesome. Love that. Uh, but then also, I, I've noted, I've seen Datadog at uh, DevOps days more, and I always want to go up to him and be like, so, hey, how's it going? We have ads on our podcast. And I always know the booth people would just be like, you want a sticker? Who are you? <laughs> but they always have a nice booth there. I'll you should just go up, go up to the booth and tell them you're welcome. <laughs> and then walk away yeah that's good that's good i'll do that also they had a vip section at devops rex which was kind of fun so you could go and get uh get some snacks and some some cheese they had a giant cheese plate of course without having to wait in line which which was nice mm. that that was well, enjoyable I, I i got to do a pair of events in singapore last week and uh one of them was, was cloud expo asia which uh if you haven't been it's uh large uh i think there were fifteen thousand people and uh it's one of those like mega booth ones where you know Ooh. they're like 300 booths and they got the carpet um, yeah yeah and they have the the vip sections and you're like oh how do i get into the vip section and and you look and it's like it's not actually a vip section it's just one vendor will have like a large area kind of fenced off and they'll, mm. they'll put a, a vip thing at it and then you know you have to have your badge scan to come in and get you know, the cheese plate. Nice. I love that. <laughs> That's a good it's always move a cheese right plate. There. It's always a yeah. cheese plate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, so che- cheese, water, you know, wine, beer. What's, what's, your, what's your, I know this is another distracting from more interesting things, jag of mine, but like are, when you're at a booth, are y'all too like aggressive about the badge, stand, badge scanning? Like, are you just no. like, hey, can I scan your badge? 
Like, you no, know, once no. you've had See, some exchange, how do you, you seem like you would be smooth, Matt, Ray? Like you may, uh, you may uh, even not tell them it's happening. Like I was thinking, no, 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 if no, only no, we had no, cameras no. in our eyes, we could just look across the room and scan <laughs> but, everyone's but see, badge. I mean, that, that, that's the rookie mistake that like a lot of these companies are making. And, and, and maybe, maybe it's not a rookie mistake. Maybe I just have a, a different filter, but you know, if there, there's a lot of, uh, of, you know, just hiring, um, I mean, they still, they're, they're toning it down. It, it's, uh, it's getting better, but they still have booth babes in Singapore. Uh, Hong Kong had a lot more of it, uh, where they, you know, they hire, uh, attractive, uh, mostly women. There were some attractive men, I guess, um, but they, you know, they just kind of aggressively come and, and scan your badges, and you're like, you know what? These leads are useless, mm. right? This, this is this is you know the reason I'm I'm unsubscribing from three or four things a day is because you know these leads are not qualified at all. So um, I I am I am very. Uh, uh, unlikely to scan a badge unless I actually have a conversation with somebody. Yeah. And, and, and I encourage my, you know, my, my coworkers, you know, we, we, we know this because we are not, we're actually attached to those leads, right? We're going to be the ones who actually follow up on them and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll throw them into the mailing list and, you know, send them some white papers and stuff. But, you know, really you don't want to waste your time with a bunch of you know people who are just going to unsubscribe that the signal to noise has got to be exceptionally low you want you want those glengarry leads i you got to you got to earn those leads how how about how about yourself brandon what's what's your badge scanning uh, strategy well i think this i mean this could be like a 3 hour discussion <laughs> on on uh, a topic all to itself i think you know, it's interesting uh, listening because I think Matt Ray is, is really representing the the uh, you know I have to kind of you know eat what I prepare here kind of thing. Like he's working the booth, but yes. I, I'm going to have to call these people up. But like anytime you're at a trade show, there are like these uh, there are multiple competing interests, right? So there's going to be another group, kind of like let's just call it like the digital demand group, where the flip side of that is like no, they want you to scan everything because they need to grow the you know Matt Ray kind of talked about it. You know what I oftentimes refer to is like new to franchise, it's like just a new email address somebody that we do not know we need to get them just into our database so that we can start doing some type of digital marketing whether it be you know emails or you know send them some offers uh, because like you know the argument would be that say anybody say just like a devops day right say that like well not everyone at the devops day is going to be able to buy our software today just the fact that they're there means that they're at least in the industry in some way and that we want to make a brand <laughs> impression to them um, and we want to grow over a small company. We want to you know, start to build a, a mailing list of like tens of thousands of people. So at least people know who we are. Just the just name recognition. Right. That's all, all right. that you're trying to do. So so there's always and this is why, like, you know, some people when you go, they'll like they'll they'll give anybody a T-shirt at a show. If just for a scan, because the explicit goal there is to build the due to franchise context and to build the digital. And there's a whole other group, right? That's just digital marketing. And they, that is really is a numbers game. They just want it to be 10, 20, 30, 50,000 over time. And knowing that like only a small percentage of those will ever buy, um, but there's going to be a big brand impression. So it's, so you have that initiative going and then, you know, kind of where more Matt Ray is or, or just the flip side. Sometimes, you know, at very large companies, you'll be sitting there and like, the rep will be like, not only he's like, I only want to know people from this account that have this title. So they're looking for like three people at the show of like 5,000. And you're like, uh, I have no idea if those people are going to walk to the booth. Right. So, but of course, cause that's what they need to do to like, go, you know, make that sale in that account. So I always think like, 
you know, very few companies, most of the time you're sitting at a booth. It's just this ad hoc, like just all these different people. There's all these different competing goals. Ideally, like somebody has kind of figured out what the strategy is and is kind of, you know, guiding you a little bit like, yeah, we want to scan as many people as possible and they're going in the digital marketing, you know, new to franchise bucket or a flip side is like, you know, another way to do a show is just simply like our whole goal of being the show is to plant the flag, to let everybody at the show know we're here. They're going to walk around. They're going to see the booth. The only people we want to talk to are people that come over and engage in like a meaningful conversation and want follow up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just like it's rare that you're at a show where it's like very well orchestrated for the whole group. It's usually just whoever's working the booth you know, applies their own motivation. So if Matt Ray's in the booth, he's like, he's not scanning you unless you're an account in Asia that he's going to talk to you. But maybe if I'm there and I'm running the marketing thing, he's like, yeah, I'm giving every single person uh, a sticker. And like, and I'm probably saying like, and subscribe to the software defined talk podcast. I don't care what you do. That's mm, all I care. That's what we, so, we, need, uh, we need a table somewhere. That's yeah. So if we were running software defined talk, we'd be like, we want you downloading and listening. That's yeah. all we want. We just be like, here, here, just, about. just give me your phone and I'll add it to your probably. podcast. That's probably what we would do. We would say, add your phone, <laughs> show us, show us your thing, show us that you subscribed and we'll give you something. That would be our giveaway. You get a taco. You get a yeah. <laughs> yes. That, that, that's a good price point, tacos. Um, <laughs> taco no, acquisition. That, that, that's, uh, well, t-shirts are expensive, man. I know. Uh, you get yourself a crispy taco. You, you could probably. That's a whole other. That's bet, a whole other episode about t-shirts. Yeah. I bet. I bet you could t-shirts. get away with making twenty crispy tacos for like five to eight dollars, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I think you could buy that pack and you get a bunch of ground meat with some iceberg lettuce. You're you're done, and then and you get one of those like uh, after a couple hours like filthy bottles of like that uh, the hot sauce with the guy with the big sombrero on it, or the one with the wooden top, and uh, you're set. You can call them conference tacos. <laughs> I, I I like this. Uh, we're gonna have to find a conference for us to all get together. Uh, my, might I recommend Cloud Expo Asia? <laughs> <laughs> I hear it's big. <laughs> Well, and, and that was kind of the the you made a really good point though that the conference is a filter of its own, right? And the thing about Cloud Expo Asia is like it's it's literally like everyone in tech walks through the door in Singapore, and so that's not a good filter. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's literally you know data center power people, it's you know laptop fans, it's you know parts providers, you know it, it's. It's consumer. It, it's got too much stuff. Um, but because of the size, we get the people will find us over in the DevOps niche. Uh, that So, yeah, we, we can be picky. Mm. Um, but if we were at like a DevOps days France, you've already got a, a filter based in, right? You know that everyone there, they know what DevOps is. You know, it's probably about the same number of people who were at, you know, Cloud Expo Asia. Mm. Um, you're, you're in like the DevOps grotto. It's, yeah. it's, they they yeah. had us they had us down in the dungeon at uh at the it, DevOps Days Paris, but but it worked the, out fine. Tons of people were there. Yeah, and the grotto uh you know, this is our second year doing it doing it. Grotto keeps getting bigger. <laughs> it's gonna become a valley. Yeah, I, I remember what, there was what's uh, the distinguishing what's the difference between a grotto and a canyon? I don't know. versus like a sunken river living room? I d I don't really know. Or a romper room. These these are all distinct things. Now we know the difference between a crispy taco, a soft taco, and a burrito. So surely mm. we can figure out grottos versus valleys versus a gulch. 
maybe. <laughs> chalupa? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but where does the chalupa come into play? Yeah, I remember back a, a many years ago at a VMware world, they had like startup row. And I think both Puppet and Chef were there. And they didn't even have, there was no chairs. It was just like a tiny little table that you could put a, a, a laptop on. And I was like, oh, man, yep. that's, that's too bad. These, these, these people need a better booth. They need a booth, not just standing there as like, ooh, wacky startups. But I guess you're at VMworld, so that's that's what you would get back then, uh, yep. as it were. Well, there, there's a uh, there's a good article uh, about um, uh, how how Red Hat is pulling CoreOS more into uh, OpenShift, and just an update on OpenShift and the Kubernetes stuff in general. There's an extensive. You can tell there was a uh, a lengthy interview with Brian Gracely over there, and it's over at the Next Platform. So therefore, that means the article doesn't suck. It actually has context added in and uh, multiple uh, streams of information, not just like, you know, rewriting a press release like you might see at other places. But it's it's a nice read on how things are going. And, and uh, there's there's a good update on, on how the integrations are going there. And then uh, I don't know. Is there something with with uh, what's the deal with Docker getting more money? Is that should we be excited about that? Does that mean uh what what did we decide their strategy was? Mod application modernization, right? Like, couldn't you? No, no it was VMware. You could take out VMware and reduce your costs yeah, by yeah. sixty three or eighty percent, if I remember. Does, does, some some number. Yeah, yeah. I went. Uh, did did they did they attach like a pitch deck to this? I wonder what the pitch is nowadays. It, it was actually. I, I seem to remember it being a little light on. On what they're going to spend that money on. Yeah. Um, well, I did say that the big thing is sounds like their push is for their IPO next year. And uh, it, it, in this, you know, it, it feels like the, the pat line every time someone raises this kind of money is like, it's, it's the goal is to invest in sales and marketing, which I, so I kind of read into yeah. it, you know, kind of like, I think months, maybe a year ago, Cote, when we kind of went through that and that, that was, um, it seemed like the explicit strategy was VMware migration, right? We're going to migrate from VMware and put all these into Docker containers. And it seems like the company is now, you know, settled, uh, settled on that vision of like, okay, this is what we're going to do. There's an infinite market to like, or, you know, at least portrayal of that to, to go do that. And that's going to be, you know, our way or our path to the IPO. And it, it's, you know, tacitly, it kind of talks about like Kubernetes and things like that. But it, it does feel like in this way, Docker sort of just has kind of, you know, not quietly, but it's sort of found that that like, yeah, we want to be an enterprise company. We want to focus on these conversions. This is where we're going to make our money and kind of back away from kind of like, I don't know, the orchestration side. At least that was kind of yeah. my read on it. Yeah, they're, they're not going to get the questions about, you know, when are you shipping Istio? Because <laughs> what yeah. they're, they're talking about is like, we're trying to make enterprises feel more comfortable and, you know, moving into the container landscape off of VMware, you know, the, the enterprises don't care if it's, you know, Istio or, you know, whatever plugin for it, uh, it you know, is the, the du jour. I mean, what they want to care about, what they care about is, you know, how are they going to move those old applications into the new platform? Mm. Yeah. And I do think this is sort of, you know, if you kind of step away, because we talk about so much of the technology, you just say the... Um, whatever you want to call it, the digital transformation trough. It, it does feel like there just feels like an infinite number of projects that like everyone wants to do sometimes for transformation. And of course, like what that means is hugely uh, variable to every different group. And it just, it does feel like every, a, a bunch of companies just like, Hey, let's just all get up here. There's a lot of money to be made and you know, let's not. And I think this is kind of the Docker thing. It's like, let's not get so caught up in like, 
the orchestration or the Istio. It's it's like let's just get all these these projects going to get these people converted, and it'll be in a lot of different ways. But there's just a lot of money to be made, and a lot of people want to be doing this right now. Yeah. Hmm. You know, I, I think I think maybe in the updated crossing crossing the chasm, there would be what would this be? Chapter four would be called uh, uh, original CEO now quote unquote valued member of the board. Uh, also investing in sales and marketing, it's sort of like that. <laughs> that uh, that that's almost like I, th- I think maybe that's I don't I think maybe that's midway over the chasm where like you got one of those big air tanker people and come refuel you. And uh, you, so you can get across well, that chasm, and and, and it, it, it's probably aligned to when you stop talking about technical details. Mm, that's a good point. When you, yeah, huh, I like it. You should write this well, book. Well, does Matt, bring right? up the whole transition <laughs> um, of Docker? Was it Simon? What is who's the Docker founder? Simon or uh, Solomon? Solomon, thank you. Uh, you know, I mean, you kind of we always look at these things when they happen, and it's always like because remember we had the big conference, and then like a couple weeks later, and it's it does feel like this one was like relatively smooth. It was like okay, we're gonna we have all this money now in Docker, and we have this big brand, we want to really focus on converting people from VMware to Docker. That's probably not what you're interested in doing. We're gonna step away from this orchestration thing. Why don't we just have this guy from, is it SAP, right? Wasn't he running SAP? Yeah, it's from Concur, uh, but yes. Concur, right? We're going to have this guy come in and kind of do a traditional enterprise play, and it makes sense. And you're probably not interested in doing that, right? Like We're we're sort of not going to fight this orchestration thing. And it feels like this (laughs) is like a pretty good, I mean, I don't know. It'd be interesting to like, now that time has gone by, like it feels like a pretty good transition for that group. Like it seems like they've navigated that without too much, uh, I don't know, hangover. So I don't know. Maybe that's just because I'm not at the company and I can just be at 50,000 foot. But, uh, you know, so often these things like, I mean, it seems like it just goes really bad, right, for like years. And then this one seems like pretty smooth um, compared to some of the other things that we talk about. Hmm. Well, then finally, I haven't read this yet, so it'll be educational for me. What, what's this uh, GitHub like actions thing? Is that like a Siri shortcut? Yeah, well, one uh, we should. Yeah. Hey, we should say, uh, you know, longtime listener uh, Jordy uh, actually uh, uh, put this one out there, so he is actually helping us curate topics, which is great. And we love when uh, people actually do our jobs for us. So thank, thank you, to yeah, him for finding this. I, one. I think, I think if we could make this podcast a lot more like Hollywood Squares, we would, we would be set. Where you just, you just kind of show up <laughs> and you sit in your square and. People ask you questions and you make something up that may be true or not true. I mean, that's basically the format of the podcast right now, minus sitting in a square. Mm. So uh, we don't have far to go for that. But I did have two thoughts on it. I wanted, like, one, you know, back to the serverless discussion, like, sometimes it's interesting to see where people aren't talking about technology, but the technology sort of shows up. Where I thought, like, this GitHub Actions has kind of this functions as a service, if, if then... Yeah then that kind of feel to it. and But they're not talking about it. They're not talking about like serverless and all the technology. They're just like, hey, when you put stuff up here and then you want other stuff to happen, we can do that. And it's it is kind of interesting, back to this crossing the chasm, it's interesting where this group of developers is very you know familiar with doing this. And I'm sure there's going to be millions of things that they do that no one's thought of. And it's a good example of like, sometimes this is the indication that the technology is happening where you find a place where they're doing it, but they're actually not even talking about doing it or all the technology. Um, but that being said, it did, Matt Ray, it did seem to like get, you know, the natural question, I guess, is sort of like, is this sort of, uh, I don't know, DevOps light or like automation light 
kind of thing? Um, well, or is it just going to be a big mess when people start, when they get into it and they're like, oh, I got too many scripts again? <laughs> uh, it could be both, right? Um, it, so, so you know, I, I, I would be interested how this ties to, you know, Microsoft acquiring GitHub, Microsoft renaming their their VSTS products as, uh, you know, the uh, DevOps, you know, window or, you know, DevOps for Visual Studio or whatever they're calling these days. Um, but, but, but yeah, this is, this is definitely, um, it, it's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, Jenkins as a platform. And oh, by the way, we're going to make it really easy to do a whole lot of Jenkins plugins that can do just about anything. And, you know, and we'll happen to host it for you and give code examples because we're GitHub. I mean, it, they're really, this is going to have a lot of repercussions in their ecosystem of, you know, tools around GitHub, right? Uh, if you're Travis CI or, um, you know, uh, some of the, the testing tools, you know, this just starts to eat into those companies and products pretty fast. Um, as well as eating into, you know, people building their own CICD pipelines with Jenkins. I mean, it's it's not as polished yet, but it took Jenkins a long time to get that polished. And this is pretty nice, you know, day one. Mm. Man, yeah. it's it's like maybe maybe I need to come up with a new, uh, you know, accurate 10% of the time theory that uh, Cote's postulate of developer software, all developer startups converge on making a pipeline. <laughs> well, to that end, also it kind of embedded in this annou- uh, announcement as well was the uh, the offer or they're going to offer the ability to do some code scanning, right? To scan for mm-hmm. uh, some vulnerabilities and stuff, which is sort of yet another kind of like adjacent market, right? Just the whole security. Exactly. Is. And um, so it is, you know, we, I think, uh, we had a whole episode. We kind of speculate, like, well, you know, what what's going to happen to GitHub, right? And it, and it's not so much. And I think what I guess, like, looking at it now, with Microsoft, and I don't know. I mean, maybe a lot of this was already in flight. It, it is sort of like they're they're clearly saying, like, hey, there are adjacent areas, right, where you know, because we're we're the de facto place where the source code is. Like, it would be very easy to just be the built-in thing. Like, oh, you want a little automation? We can do that. Oh, you want to just do some security scans? We can do that. To my to Matt Ray's point, though, but that's that is kind of interesting to see how the the rest of the industry sort of um, reacts to that, right? Because yeah. it is it's like suddenly, right? Like it, it's competing potentially with um, other places that, that don't want that to be encroached upon. And so does that start to drive people to like a different source code repository, right? So, uh, but on the face, but it seems hard, right? Because the network effect, right? The network effect yeah, is so yeah. strong that it, it, you know, really, I mean, this seems very well thought out. Like, hey, let's just do some basic stuff because a lot of times that's going to be good enough mm. for like a lot of these customers right. and probably right. also offer a way to like, you know, make, just on, said it simply, like make money, right? It's a very simple way to make money by offering these adjacent services. So it's a, I don't know, I, I think it's a, a really, I'm impressed. I think it's an interesting strategy. You know, if 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 someone from my, if Microsoft is is not on their game, um, you know, well, first of all, there should be actions for every single Azure function within a year. Like next year at Microsoft Ignite, like every single Azure thing possible should be exposed in here, you know, or, or Microsoft is just, you know, failing to understand what they've built. Um, and they should probably have unlocked the free tier and made it, you know, front and center, 
know, and that's 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 a big deal, right? You know, you just all these workflows are going to tie directly to Azure. Um, you know, unless nobody from Microsoft listens to the podcast. <laughs> that's right. Well, it does have the feel of um, the like kind of the Alexa skill kind of thing, right? Yes. It's like first, you know, and in the network effect here really taking hold. It's like first we get everybody's source code up here, right? And then to your point, you know, Microsoft clearly would be the obvious ones to like have yeah, action for I, everything. I, I mean, but then the next, the final but, step is to like everybody that's doing anything writes an action, right? They put it on there and then you're just, cause that becomes the virtuous circle of like now the network effect is, you know, I mean, now it's just really almost on overtime. It's like, are you really going to go to something else that doesn't have all the skills right, plus all right. the source code? Right? I mean, you have a really defensible business it's, for a long period tied, of time. Yeah. You know, you, it's this triangle between you know the editor of Visual Studio Code, the the platform of GitHub, and the cloud of, of Azure. It's like Alexa's not getting anybody onto AWS, right? <laughs> right? You know, I mean that 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 is that is a really defensible you know place to just you know and and there's a lot of businesses you know a lot of startups that are kind of in that inside that triangle that are probably going to get the squeeze. Yeah. yeah, and I think this is where I know Cote, or we had that long discussion, or all of us had a discussion on Git, the GitHub acquisition. And it was like, you know, it was an enormous. Can't remember the exact price, right? But we we're like, well, you know, there's got to be some upsell in the business case. There's got to be some upsell to Azure built into this, right? And now it's like, yeah, you start to look at this and say, yeah, do they have all these Azure actions next year? And does that start to like, you know, because I think there was speculation that like, oh, they're gonna like rebrand and put Azure everywhere. It's like. No, these actions are, would be almost a better way to do it. Like, hey, you want to use this? We'll make it really easy. So uh, clearly, I think you know the business case is being executed well here. Mm. Yeah. So, so, so you can you get you get your actions. I've had plenty of time to read this uh, surprisingly informative TechCrunch article. It's a nice write up. But uh, you got an action now. What triggers these action? Is it just like like a code check in, or just like I just execute some little. Uh, HTTP Pro request. Ooh, yeah. I mean, right now it's probably code check-ins, but you could probably imagine some sort of you know event listener that mm. triggers something else, like you know, hey, I want to send, you know, I, I want to trigger a a release candidate. You know, that's not something that gets triggered from a source commit. It's some some external system where we've done a review. And, you know, this has baked for five weeks and now that is the, the golden image that, you know, we're shipping, mm -hmm. you know, that, that, that doesn't fit directly. So I'm sure they'll have some sort of external hooks to pull in triggers. I mean, I mean, and, I guess, uh, I guess you could always hack it by having some system check something in if that's the only way to trigger right, the system right. to run, which, which would probably be fine. Right. Cause I mean. Essentially, yeah. you have a. I don't Source know if code you, it, your audit. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if you can schedule things with it, but basically, you've got what we used to call like you know a batch job scheduler, right? Being yeah. that like at some at some moment, some new chunk of text. I guess it could not be text. You could do image processing, but we'll be realistic. It's always some text, some spread, some CSV file, or some chunk of text exists, and you want to uh, schedule running it through a process that. Uh, ETLs it or, or, you know, sticks it somewhere or causes money to be transferred. And, uh, and then you're done. So you run a workload, but you know, I guess the obvious thing with GitHub is like you build your, uh, you build, make a build pipeline that creates it. And as this article suggests, 
sends a text message to Twilio every time someone uses the urgent issue tag, which sounds like a really fast way to do something no one will ever pay attention to. So don't do that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously making build pipelines is interesting, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, how you would just handle like enterprise data stuff too would be fun. And it is like you were saying, Brandon, it's a good, uh, it's a good, uh, it's a good use of an acquired company that probably wouldn't have been able to do something like that in a business way as well as they could, right? Because now you would have, with Microsoft owning it, like you're saying, Matt Ray, you could hook it up to Azure pretty well. And of course, someone will code it to hook up to all the other clouds, which is great. But you basically have the entire Microsoft technology stack, which can be uh, very closely tied into uh, to GitHub, which I think everyone uses that, right? There's no other version control out there, as far as I can tell. Uh, so yeah, that's interesting. And it is like uh, it is like the shortcuts. It's even got a little GUI. I wonder how long yeah. it'll take before people on Hacker News are like, I don't see why there's a GUI. I can just effectively use the command line by typing the following YAML files in, <laughs> which which is good for them. Good old actions. <laughs> and we should say, all the people uh, you know in Hacker News, we, we really enjoy you listening to the podcast. Keep downloading. So yeah. Thanks. Yes. I mean, and if you don't <laughs> like the podcast, you should download it three times just to show us your passion. If, if we've learned anything from Facebook video... <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right well there's also uh, a link to uh, a digital transformation paper which i have not read but i'm 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 uh, i'm excited about give us a preview of what's in that brandon since since you yeah i think it's just a a good pdf here good i think it's a good 15 pages but it's the uh from these guys at Postlight who have this uh, podcast I like to listen to, like track mm. changes. So, um, but so they, they have a real uh, pragmatic yet fun way to think about digital transformation. So this is their take on on how to do it. And, um, you know, probably this audience has read a lot of it, but I also think it's like you can never have too many of these uh, uh, beautiful PDFs ready to go when you have to justify something or grab some stats for your next mm, I'm presentation. I'm going to check that out. So, so you yeah, just put them that, on that your, is... your hard drive. I, I should listen to that podcast more. I mean, it has Paul Ford on it for one thing, and he's great. And uh, they're sort of like they're sort of like the uh, the optimistic version of me. Like like I don't know how they word it, but every time I've heard the interview, they're always like, "Yeah, that sounds great, but that's actually a load of bullshit, right?" Can you explain it to me how that's not crap? Except they do it in a very positive, nice way. They're very generative. Always trying to help people. I, I like that show. They're, they're a little funny. And I guess they're in New York, too, and you can just kind of get the sense of, like, ooh, these are New Yorkers. They just had some pastrami. So, you, yeah, uh, finally, Matt Ray, there's a new version of everyone's favorite compliance software out there, right? What's uh, yeah. what's going on with that? G- give a, give us the little, the you know, the paragraph of one-liners on it. Uh, yeah, so so Inspect 3 uh, launched uh, this week at the uh, Chef European Community Summit. Um, I think the highlights were the the new plugin architecture. Um, that's what most people care about because uh, that way you can in- install plugins for uh, the transport interface or for uh, uh, new functionality. And something I wrote made the press release. Uh, so yay for me. Mm. Um, the the Terraform integration. So uh, that was cool. Um, we also. Uh, you know, released the GCP support and got uh, uh, the the Sys folks to certify us. So yay for us! But Ma- but Matt uh, Ray, why don't you have GitHub Actions supported yet? That's going to be critical <laughs> for my enterprise workflow. That's right. Okay, Set, so, so start sending Matt Ray emails. Like, when is this going to happen? That's the beauty of it. 
when when Microsoft does that dump of everything that that's in the Azure world, Inspect's already in the Azure shell. Whoa! Whoa! Galaxy brain. Look at me. <laughs> so. That's a good question. I don't know. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, you know, uh, Matt Ray is going to be at uh, speaking of conferences, which we weren't. Well, I guess we kind of were. You're going to you're going to be at uh, DevOps Days Wellington. Right. Is that is that going to be? I actually just removed that from the notes. Oh, (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure. Uh, I just got back from Wellington today. How was Uh, it over there? It was lovely. Uh, nice, nice, uh, sunny day. Um, it was, it was about, uh, 18 for our, uh, Celsius listeners. And, uh, I flew home to Sydney and here I am. And, uh, I'm going to Japan next week. So I'll be at the Rakuten technology conference. If, uh, you're there, I'll say hi. Yeah. Which means something different in Japan, but that's fine. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, you know, I should have gotten a geology degree so I could convert between Fahrenheit and Celsius that quickly instead of having to ask Google what it looks like. Well, I'm going to, you know, speaking of Oceana, I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be all over there for on our spring tour in uh, Beijing, Seoul and Tokyo and Singapore, sometimes between November 3rd and 12th. So y'all should come check that out. And if you're at the the new relic thing in Amsterdam on October 31st, I'll be there as well. And then I'll be talking at DevOx Belgium in Antwerp. If you're into that kind of thing. So, uh, also, uh, if you're interested in other like, uh, associated things, this, of course, is the Software Defined Talk podcast. Uh, if you want to join the Slack channel, you can suggest things, as we mentioned. That way we can get up into our, uh, Hollywood Squares box sort of lifestyle. But yeah. if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash Slack, you can sign up for Slack and join us in there. And also, if you want some stickers, uh, they're very nice stickers. Uh, you just you send us uh, uh, a piece of mail that is uh, well. You can send us an email, and you send it at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and you have to tell us our mailing address, and then Brandon will mail you. Uh, and it's very thin, but it's still three dimensional, a three dimensional object of of a uh, a sticker. So you can have that. Do we have any Do we have any listener feedback this episode, Brandon? We do. Simon from the UK uh, emailed, tell us he was a longtime listener, and he even bought a uh, software defined talk t-shirt one of the classic things that would be um surely be worth millions of dollars so uh i went ahead and sent him a sticker and i really appreciate him listening to the show and sending such kind words and of course if you want to be extra kind we always appreciate a review on itunes so if you want to go in there write a couple sentences on why we're great we would always appreciate that as i recall someone said they'd written a review and uh, being the consummate professional I am, I have not prepared reading that or knowing who it was. So I apologize. <laughs> so good job, anonymous stars. supporter. You're not anonymous, of course. But the review of that review is uh, two thumbs up. Would watch it again. <laughs> Once I'm going to give that five-star review, five stars. And then how, how's, how's your conference calling app going, Brandon? Can it yet read my calendar and find the Zoom links and then oh, just automatically yeah, go no, to it? You know, it's kind of like actions. We're not there yet. Okay. We'll see. We'll you're see you're in a limited private beta pre-release. Uh, <laughs> no, no, we're not. We're just, we're, we're just looking at the, the ID. Like, I don't know. Should we put that in? I don't know. We're not sure. Sure. So we'll see. But Evaluating yeah, product out, market out. fit. That's right. Check out QuickCon Call. Uh, you know, if you make lots of conference calls and you want a place to store all your numbers, you know, and you and you use an iPhone, check it out. Appreciate it if you if you tried it out. You know, I've noticed maybe this is only uh, peculiar to uh, Pivotal, but I've noticed people around Pivotal have started saying, "Well, let's Zoom. You could just Zoom them." 
And, uh, mm. you know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if I like the feel of that, but you can't really control those things. I guess, I guess it doesn't really make sense to say call. I don't know. Call makes sense. Call always makes sense. <laughs> Although people say nobody that, texts on their phones anymore, though. Yeah. That's well, the thing but, about that, that Twilio integration. It's just right. sending, it's sending voicemail and people don't even listen to their voicemail. That's, a, that's right. This, this, uh, <laughs> this GitHub action has told me that I have an urgent phone call from my mother, but I've got, I've got action fatigue. I don't know. It's um, my my mom checked in some code. It's if I read it, it says "call me." But yeah, uh, I forgot what else I was going to say. But <laughs> there we go. Well, this week that's a wrap. <laughs> as always, recommendations, Matt Ray. Since you are perhaps the sleepiest, what is your recommendation this week? Uh, my recommendation this week is. Uh... Uh, there's a, a guy who goes by the handle DJBC, and uh, he's put out uh, a couple of a uh, couple of really good things over the years. Um, and uh, I don't think it's particularly new, but I found his website and downloaded pretty much everything he had. Um, and he has a uh, my recommendation for this week is his uh, Philip, uh, not Philip Glass, Philip Glass. Ah, oh, jeez. Um, is he the guy who has like a, a ten minute song that's silence? Uh, <laughs> no, um, it, it's Brian Eno. Sorry, I don't know why I said Philip Glass. It's, oh, it's pretty uh, much Brian the same Eno person. And Jay Z. Oh, um, so it's a mashup kind of thing. He does mashups, uh, and he's got one called Another Jay on Earth that's a mashup of uh, uh, the American Gangster album and uh, his Another Day on Earth album. And both are good. Put them together. Also good. And the, the instrumental remix is uh, Another Day on Beat. Also very good. So uh, I like all this stuff. Uh, makes for good listening while you're coding. And uh, I, I celebrate his entire discography. Mm. Now, now if, I, if I, you know, I haven't really updated my mainstream hip-hop listening for the past 10 years. What are like the top three artists, as they say? that I should know about and be interested in anything. Maybe the listeners can email it. Join that, our Slack channel and tell me listeners. that. Yeah. I'm, I'm all off in the weeds and stuff, you know, listening to the, the beastie boys, you're, Beatles match. You're like with MC Matt Iglesias. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's where I'm at with knowing current music and what the kids oh, are. Into. No. I'll make a joke like that. Yeah. You know, I don't really like, like everyone's all, you know, everyone's always been, I don't, I never really even listened to Jay-Z, let alone like Kane West or like Drake. I don't understand what any of that is. So Kane West. yeah, see, I don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm just babbling. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't know what's happening. All I know is like, I know like run the jewels and a little bit of Kendrick Lamar and then a few thing, random things here, but I don't know anything else. And I feel like, I feel like I'm missing out. I don't understand what's I don't happening. I know. That's pretty good stuff. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that's not good. It's just like I want to widen my aperture. I want more actions in my uh, my directory. Well, uh, Brandon, what do you have to recommend this week? Uh, I've been listening to another one of the Slate podcasts, the Slow Burn podcast, which is, uh, I guess, they kind of look back historically and covering American politics, looking at the, uh, the most recent season was about the uh, Bill Clinton impeachment. And then before that, they did the whole... Uh, Nixon Watergate stuff. So there were kind of like six to eight episodes. I think they're like eight episodes each, but it's kind of like a, an interesting way to uh, consume history, right? I mean, you probably know the stories. Um, certainly I was alive during the, I guess, the, the Nixon stuff, but have no memory of it. But it was real interesting listening to uh, 
the Clinton stuff because it's been whatever 20 plus years, but it's about the time I was in college. So I remember kind of following it and then it was interesting to someone go back in detail and kind of highlight everything that happened. It was, um, it's kind of gives you a different perspective on it. So it's, uh, you know, like all those podcasts are really well done, a lot of narrative, a lot of good storytelling. So if you're looking to, you know, learn a bit more about those subjects, check it out. Do, do they have, do they have ducked music in between segments? Yeah, they have all that. They have uh, proper sound effects, duck, duck music. They have, uh, you know, cutting in and out of, of different quotes. They've interviewed with a lot of famous people. So, you know, this is kind of this American life kind of, you know, production quality. And, and, for, and for like a Nixon era, Nixon era thing, like what music do they have? Do they like go back to the originals there? Little little uh, pimps, players in private eyes or what, <laughs> what do they play in there? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. They've, uh, you know, I don't, it, it is, uh, I'm always amazed at, uh, some of those podcasts at the end when they, um, they kind of do the credits and you're like, they like list 50 people and they have people in sound design. And you're like, wow, wow, these people, they have a lot of time. They have a lot of time to make podcasts. So, uh, I don't know, but I know they have a music editor and a, a bunch of great audio editors making sound effects. So check Man, it out. I, re- I remember when I was, I was young before I had one of these kind of jobs. It was just like, how do, how do I get the job where I'm selecting music? Like that seems like an <laughs> awesome job. Like all I do is I, and anytime like you're fantasizing about a job and you find yourself saying the phrase sit around all day, it means you actually have no idea what the job entails. But you know, exactly. how do I sit around all day and just be like, Oh, I should put this in there. Like, like, yeah. uh, you know, in a, as a related example, like every now and then I can't listen to NPR anymore because I live, you know, somewhere else here in Amsterdam. I don't, I don't know what they, they have maybe they have NLPR, uh, but it'll probably be in Dutch. I should learn Dutch. Anyways, I occasionally like I would speaking of my old hip hop knowledge, I'd be listening to NPR and the interstitial music they would have would be like from, you know, a chronic 2001 song. And I'd always be like, I mean, I know the lyrics to that song and I don't think it really represents what you're trying to talk about here <laughs> in, in this story. Right. Which is always a little odd, but someone picked it out and they always have a lot of Beastie Boys stuff in there. Which is uh, interesting. Maybe it's people our age who are picking this music. Exactly. There haven't been any new Beastie Boys in quite a while. Yeah, yeah. One of them's dead, isn't he? Exactly. That's, that's a bummer. <laughs> that's too bad. That's sad. Anyways, uh, well, my recommendation this week. Speaking of Amsterdam, I was uh, I was on the way to an event last night. I was down there in Amstel or Amstel or however I'm supposed to say it. I need to really cut it out with the goofy American thing. One of my Dutch coworkers was like telling me I can actually pronounce things if I try. But I was down there at Amstel Station, and they have an Albert Hein. And uh, whenever I'm at an Albert Hein, I like to get one of their mint uh, infused little bottles of water. Delicious. And, uh, but they had a new one. They have mint and raspberries, uh, as a thing and mint on its own, but they have mint and ginger root, which I had never seen before. So I got one of these and that's what I recommend this week. When next time you go to an Albert Hein, there's one in Schiphol open till midnight, which is very odd. They also have a bank branch there that's open 24 hours a day, I think. But anyways, uh, whether you're going through Schiphol or, uh, or, uh, you're just out and about. You go there and try to see if you can find the mint and ginger water. I looked for one the other, the, you know, also recently, not available. So uh, it might be a collector's item. I'll try to keep it until it molds out. Uh, if so, get it numbered. But it's tasty. And in like, you know, unless you're really into it, what I do not recommend is uh, sitting after having drank all of the water and therefore having no water to drink. Should something occur in your mouth, don't eat the piece of ginger afterwards. Uh, it's oh, a, it's so a little... there's a, 
There's actually stuff floating in it. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll have to take uh, a picture of it. There's like, there's like a, um, like if you imagine if like Mr. Peanut all of a sudden showed up on your desk, it's about the height that you would think Mr. Peanut would be. You know, kind of about like uh, a little longer than your thumb, except, and it's cut like that too, right? It looks exactly like Mr. Like as if there's a vivisection of Mr. Peanut, um, and they had declothed him and taken off his arms and legs as well. Wow! So, so poor Mr. I, I, Peanut. I, I, I was just picturing like Dutch Lacroix. Yeah, <laughs> we, we hardly knew Mr. Peanut, and now he's vivisected. <laughs> <laughs> oh well that's how we roll that's right I mean what do you expect from someone named Mr. Peanut uh, well as always this has been Software Defined Talk you can find the show notes for this episode episode uh, let me see here 151 uh, if you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 151 you can find out how to join our Slack group you can sign up for uh, like to get each episode emailed to your email account uh I don't know where else, maybe to your smart printer if it accepts email. But anyways, it'll send, <laughs> there you, go. You, can, <laughs> you can set up a GitHub action to send you an urgent message through Twilio uh, and, uh, and try to disambiguate that from broken builds. And I'd like to fix this build, but first I need to listen to this episode of nonsense. Uh, anyhow, you can also get it emailed to you if you sign up for that and uh, all sorts of other wonderful things there. And, you know, uh, uh, a, uh, a little review in iTunes is always appreciated. And I think I'm going to go read that one that someone wrote because it's awesome is my understanding. So with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.